There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest this week spent four years flying the Blue Peter flag alongside Anthea Turner, John Leslie and Katie Hill before presenting Short Change and Fully Booked. Yes, do you remember Fully Booked? That big table in the middle on a Sunday morning. Absolutely used to love that show. He then went to the States and presented a variety of their entertainment shows, interviewing all your favourite entertainers that I'd love to say I've met, and I haven't. Away from your TV screens, at the age of 46, Tim became a father to twins, Jasper and Felix, which led him hosting his own podcast and now Radio 4 show, The Likely Dads. We're going to talk fatherhood later on in life. We're going to talk about working in America, but obviously Kids TV, my favourite place to begin. Let's welcome TV superstar Tim Vincent. Hello, Tim. Well, that's probably the best introduction I have had since I've hosted, I don't know, Miss World. You know, really built, built me up there. Are you available to be my agent? Mate, you've got the best agent in the business. I, there's no way I can compete with Dear Vic. <laughs> she's very good well, I saw you so I saw you and I actually haven't ever told you this I've known you for about a year now and I've never told you this I saw you I think at Kinky Boots the musical and you were <sighs> sitting all the way at the back on the on the upper on the upper tier I know you've kind of left the celeb world but you're on the upper tier towards the back maybe second row from the back is this ringing any bells for you? it is uh, I, and it was just a normal performance wasn't it a, uh, or was it a, a press one it was a press one because I saw Dan Whitten ah, yeah. first of all in the <laughs> corridor and I met and I know Dan obviously and you know we were gossiping and then I saw you and I was like oh my god it's Tim Vincent but I didn't you didn't know me <laughs> I didn't know you and I was like I want to speak to you but I don't know what I'm going to say to you <laughs> <laughs> she said, "Why are you sitting at the back?" <laughs> I was at the front. You at the back. Show, you got out really quickly. Was working on that, and said, "Oh, do you fancy coming?" I've got a ticket. I said, "Yeah, of course." And I've actually loved that show that much that about I don't know six months later, my mum came down who was recently bereaved, and I said, "Come on, we will go and see something." And I took her to that, and she loved it. So it's had two good bites of the cherry on that one. So it was really good to um, see that show. It's fantastic, actually. And so I saw it with two different performers in it. It's so good. It's so. But then I think the problem is of that. It was, it was such a good 
established show, but then everybody's talking about Jamie came along, and then you see Leighton Williams and what Leighton's done for that show. And Leighton is everybody talks about Jamie. You know, you can't get anyone else on that show. It doesn't matter if it's the celebrities like Shane Richie's been in it and Shobna Galati's been on it. It's always going to be about Leighton Williams, and that music and that set is just insane. Um, do you know what? I haven't seen it. So I hosted a, or I was a judge on a West End thing about two years before, and they did a small performance on stage on, in the evening. I thought, it's very energetic. It was really fun, but I haven't seen the show. It's honestly brilliant. When the theatre's open, I will take you, my friend, to see it. We'll go and have a oh, night right, out okay, together, yeah. and we'll go and watch it, because I want to see it again. In the, um, kinky boots. <laughs> I will get you on the stalls. Don't you? I know people. I'll get you on the stalls. Johnny and Tim, Saturday night, and Tim's on the stage and a chair. What's this going to be like? You being hypnotised with Paul McKenna on stage no, with you? He's just got the best seat in, in, the, in the building for me. Well, look, mate. I know people. I'll sort that out. You get us a nice restaurant to have dinner first, and then we'll win. No, we're already down to the financial side of the deal. Okay, I get it, yeah. There's actually a really lovely tapas uh, restaurant on... Um, where is the show on? Uh, and I think, we're, I think we're getting slightly, you know... I thought I'd come on to talk about myself and how amazing I am. Now we're talking about taking you for a meal before you hand over the tickets to a show. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? This is how it works. Descend it to the level. <laughs> well, look, okay, well, look, you want to talk about you, so let's talk about you. Well, let's make you, we'll make you cry. We're going to get deep. We'll have that deep chat, but it's up to you. You know, I was going to be nice and jolly to begin with, but look, we're going to go back to the 1970s. You were brought... I can get some vouchers for a two-for-one for somewhere to eat. Don't worry. Yeah, well... Let's go back to your childhood. 1970s, you were born in Wrexham. You were living in Queensbridge Hall. Tell me about life for you growing up, Timothy. <laughs> I my mum and dad divorced before I could even remember and she moved back into Queensbridge Hall which was in uh, North Wales in a little village or outside a little village and that was probably very defining for me because I was in the middle of nowhere it sounds very grand that we lived in a hall which was a hall but we had or my grandparents had half the hall and it was much more like the Waltons you know Quite run down, but beautiful house, beautiful views. But uh, we had a pet squirrel inside that used to chew on the electrical cables and electrocute people when they put the lights on. So it was very much hit and miss, but fantastic fun. But also, there weren't lots of kids around my age to go out and play with. So many, many days, I would go off after breakfast and play in the fields or in the woods or do whatever I was doing. But you were left to your own devices. So I think that's probably where my creative side was encouraged in my own mind because you have to entertain yourself or have to think about things to do rather than just being hanging around with three three or four best mates and that was the thing i think if you don't have the friends you're going to find your outlet with normally tv and so it's either doing puppet shows to your teddy bears or it's pretending you're <laughs> on tv i used to walk home from school and pretend i was on cbbc and literally um just talk to myself and go, oh, look, welcome to today's show. <laughs> on the show today, we're doing this. Or I'd be, you know, the classic, and weirdly, obviously, you've worked on Blue Peter, but, you know, the fact that I would pretend I'm on a cooking show and go, here's one I made earlier, and here's everything potted <laughs> out. And all those little things, you copy what you see. It's that copycat yeah. culture that we're part of. Yeah, absolutely. And then the secret is to still find yourself in and amongst it when you're doing something. So then you decide, okay, I'm going to do a bit of drama, and... The royal family's Ricky Tomlinson lives near you. He sets up a drama school. Take me through what happened in getting in that school and what you learnt from that experience. 
Well, one of the adages that I always use, and I think it's absolutely true, uh, even to this day, it was only last week I was thinking, God, that so applies, is that you've got to be in the race to win it. You've got to put feelers out. You've got to keep, you know, if you're not considered for a job, even if you don't get it, you're definitely not going to get it if you don't put yourself out there for it. And Ricky Tomlinson um, lived probably about 20 miles away in a, in a Welsh village and for a year or so ran drama classes two or three, four times a week in this converted chapel. And I begged my mum to take me along and we used to have lessons there. And by perchance, he took half a dozen kids uh, in a minibus to Liverpool for auditions for a brand new show. Uh, and luckily, they weren't looking for um, drama school educated children. They wanted, you know, more raw and, and not such polished performances. I went, and he took us purely to show us what an audition was like. During that, I got the, I was considered and ended up getting the main part, which happened to have been Children's Ward, which was written by Paul Abbott, Kay Meller, who went on to do amazing things, and Russell T. Davis. So I had look after look after look. And my my series, the first series, my character should have really, you know, it's in a set in a hospital, so nobody really has continuing characters if you're a patient. But they liked me and uh, wrote me in for the next six series right up until I got Blue Peter. And for those that don't know, obviously just to mention them really quickly, Kay Meller's done programmes like The Syndicate and all those northern dramas, which are amazing. Rusty Davis, uh, it's a sin on Channel 4 at the moment, and Doctor Who is written for. So you're working with the best of the best. Also, Kay Miller did Fat Friends, let's, let's figure out. Um, uh, Band of Gold, Paul Abbott did Cracker. You know, they all went on to do these amazing things. So, and the subject matter, you know, I played a 15-year-old teenage alcoholic. You know, we had a, uh, in a subsequent series, a patient that had AIDS. You know, there were various quite tough um, subject matters for children. Uh, to deal with um, and it was you know a great show to be on but to be honest Johnny you know I was 15 uh, the lead in the new drama filmed in uh, Granada Studios where Coronation Street was being filmed and all these other amazing shows so it was just a complete and utter blast for three months it's, it's amazing and also it's one of those things that Children's Ward was the equivalent of what the Bill and Casualty in Holby City were where to be an actor, you would start out on one of those shows because they had such rotating doors. But you had some big people starting in Children's World alongside you as well. Yeah, uh, it went on, I don't know how many series. I did six, and I think it went on for eight, nine series. Um, but latterly, or it was a breeding ground uh, for actors to go into Coronation Street off the back of it because they literally sometimes were studio next to studio. So people were seeing you, and there's you know casting directors. So there's quite a few people that were, were in it. But even the series that I did, the uh, senior nurse on it was Andrew Hall that people of a certain age will remember butterflies and various things and he was in that you know and he was such a, a lovely guy to, to work with you know you can imagine somebody in their mid-30s then they signed up to a 13-part series with just loads of kids running around <laughs> you're thinking this isn't going to be an easy gig and they say don't work with kids and don't work with animals and yet you've done it both <laughs> yeah. ways <laughs> exactly so Children's Ward, you're acting, you're learning your lines, but you're in that cast of people who aren't necessarily trained actors. They've not all come from Anna Sher, they've not come from Sylvia Young. They don't necessarily know how to present themselves. How did you find this being in the spotlight, being at school and, you know, you're an actor now, like you're above everyone, but yet you're not. And obviously this is pre-social media, so you don't necessarily know the attention you're actually getting at that time. No, it was, a, it was a very good question, and it was a very weird juxtaposition because I had three months off school, 
Now, my school was a perfectly reasonable school, but it didn't have drama classes, never mind drama GCSEs. When ITV rang up to say, look, we need to have, you know, an arrangement to have a a student come out and we'll do their education on set, they they first assumed that I was going on um, blockbusters because that's the only thing that they knew about TV and students could be on. The next thing, they're getting a phone call that I'm off uh, the lead in a new drama for three months. So... You film it, and then it eventually comes out, uh, and you can obviously get the cold face of other kids, because I was back in school at 15, you know, 16, working there. Not working, <laughs> trying to trying to study. Uh, people would see, you know, you've been on it. But there were, and I'm so glad there wasn't social media in the sense of what there is today, because you are very cushioned, or I was at the time. But there were magazines like Smash Hits, Looking, My Guy, a lot of teen magazines which used to sell millions um, and of course you know it was a, a drama with teenagers in it so all of a sudden you know I was in in the magazines and featured on and letters written about and then the next thing you're on you know a half cover and then the full cover and then you you know all the bits and pieces that go with it so you kind of understood I remember the first time I got recognised when I came down to London for some press thing for it. And I was with Denny Luckcraft, who played my girlfriend, Keely, in it. And we were just walking around Covent Garden and somebody came up for autographs and they were just reciting, you know, my character's name, Billy, and Jen, and, and we were only 16. And we were like, wow, this is amazing. And did that make you crave being on the magazine front covers, being in those big two-page pullouts in the Smash Hits magazine, being a big poster, being on TV, be it, you know, going live or uh, ITV's equivalent? Were you craving that fame or were you like, I'm an actor and I am actually enjoying learning my lines and I'm actually enjoying learning about this process behind the camera? Um, If I'm really honest, you know, you're 15, 16 and you're enjoying it, you understand that you're learning the craft, but it is fun to be in all those things. It's silly not to be, you know. I always roll my eyes even now when, you know, somebody goes, oh, well, you know, it's all... Well, you can go and be in theatre and do fantastic performances, great scripts, and never never go anywhere near television. That doesn't mean you can't do it, but you've got to, you know, embrace what those things are. And you were 15, 16, 17, 18. It was great fun to do those. I think once... What it did for me was I started being guests on Going Live or, you know, various TV shows. And I used to sit there in the studio and think, it's really fun what the presenters are doing. They're going off to do this. They're interviewing this important person or this interesting person or they're flying off to that. That's what I would like to also try and pursue. And I think once I got the presenting gigs, that's when you start. I personally knew what that craft was and what to learn and what works and what doesn't. So... Ironically, when I um, got Blue Peter, it was in a year out, I deferred my entry to university, and I did Blue Peter for three years, and I always deem that as my three years of training and education because at the end of three years of Blue Peter, you know, you could pretty much do anything. You know, live shows three times a week, jumping out of planes or interviewing a child that's stricken by shyness live on an air and try to get something out. And you, you kind of get to deal with all these different things. So once you leave it, you're ready for pretty much anything. And fast forward, even 10 years ago, I got offered a, a gig in the States hosting a live show and the produ- producers were British uh, from the BBC. And I said, and they'd offered the job to me without you know me meeting them. And they said, I said, listen, you know, normally jobs come through, you work with somebody, you get on and they think, ooh, we're doing this. What about coming on to do this? 
that wasn't the case here. I said, why have you offered the job to me? She said, well, we want somebody that's known in the States. We also need somebody that we know that can do live television. And if anything happens, happens, and they can deal with it. And I know that you did Blue Peter, so we'd know that you'd be all right for the show. And it, as it turned out, it was. Well, that is why, my friend, I've always wanted you to be seen more because you are the equivalent of a loose man. Uh, you're an alpha male, but you're very wow. family oriented. You're like, well, Here you're like go. the heart. You, you know, the heart. F- obviously, you did heart FM at one point, but you know, you're the heart FM. You know, like the housewife's favorite. That you're very easy. You're very likable. You've got that nice personality, you know, like Dermot O'Leary as well. You know, all your types, Jeff Brazier, all of you in the same kind of hole where you're all just the housewife's favourite. Everyone loves you. You get on with everyone. You're easy to work with. You don't bring the drama. You don't bring the negativity. You just get on with the job and you do a great job. You haven't seen me early in the morning. Mate. I haven't seen you late at night either. Let's not get to the morning <laughs> yeah, first. Let's get to the night first. Start. The werewolf starts to come in late at night. So let's go back um, to... I think, yeah, I think we're all, you know, you're not dissimilar. We're all professionals, so we want to get on with do the, doing the job. Well, talking of jobs, let's go back to 1993. I was about four months old. You were deferring your placement <laughs> to university and you get on Blue Peter. What was that audition like? Because I've heard some amazing stories about what auditions on Blue Peter are like. Yeah, it was very, very intimidating. Not because they were intimidating, but just the, the weight of the the job. You know, the, the potential of getting that job was so big to me um, and to anybody else that had the opportunity to audition for it because Blue Peter at that point was on twice a week. Millions, and I, I don't know what it was, I think it was about six, seven million used to tune in twice a week. There wasn't even Channel 5. You know, Sky News was in its infancy, so it was literally everybody in the country would watch Blue Peter. Half of its audience were adults. And um, <clears throat> I was you know, 20 and really keen to, to try and make it, but lived in Wrexham. And eventually, by hook or by crook, I got um, an interview for to go down, uh, again by putting myself out there. And then the audition offer was made, and I came down for the... Uh, and, and the audition is in... BBC Television Centre. So as soon as you walk in, you know, you're seeing lots of David Jason's walking past or the news presenters walking past there or the filming Top of the Pop. So, you know, Rick Astley's just warming up and you're like, <laughs> this is like, uh, I don't know, Sunset Boulevard, you've arrived. You know, all these amazing people. I want to be part of this creative um, work and be paid to be in this industry. So there's a lot of weight on your shoulders before the audition. Um, and they, they make you just present a mini version of the show so they can see you do a make item, they can do this bit, they put makeup on you. And I remember having my face made up and a friend of mine from uh, Wrexham had come down with me in the car to do the audition and he was sitting in the dressing room. He said, how are you feeling? And I, and I was 20 and I said, I said I'm pretty, um, pretty nervous to be honest. He says, oh, right, well, just calm down. And I pulled my jumper down to show him because below my neck where the makeup was my, my body was bright red <laughs> where the makeup started on my neck it's gone you know look normal and you just have to do the best you can and you present mini bits with the presenters you know the, the actual presenters that are the main presenters on the show so all of a sudden you're working with like you know these big household names and trying to be professional but also trying to be a bit friendly but not overly friendly you know it's a hard pitch to get quite right but luckily you know again I'd never really presented in my life and they took a punt on me and do you know who didn't get the job who you were up against I do um I do 
purely because uh, I auditioned and they obviously wanted a boy because we were replacing John Leslie. And it came down to the wire between myself and Stuart Miles. And then they gave the job to me. And then six months later, Anthea Turner left and they offered the job to Stuart. Uh, and that was how it went. So Stu and I ended up working together, but did audition for Blue Peter, you know, six, seven months beforehand. Uh, and it worked out quite well, really, because Stu had presented and done the Disney Club and various things. So he was much more polished than me. I was a bit more raw and, um, you know, not professional to begin with, because, you know, I was learning how to use autocues and learning how to do eight cameras and multi-cameras and live TV, you know. So it was a bit of a very steep learning curve for me. But at the same time, Blue Peter were in that element because they could completely mould you into being what they wanted as their presenter. I think sometimes we forget that, especially in the media industry, that it's better that you know nothing and you can be taught how to do it than come in with your own ego that you know better than they know. Yeah, okay. and also, you're right, but Blue Peter is probably a good example of what that, that I was lucky for that show because that show was a lifestyle, you know. I, I likened it to being an expectant father. There was always a bag half-packed in your apartment because there was always phone calls saying, this has happened, You're gonna. there's a bike taxi coming to pick you up, you're going to go off to do that. So you were pretty much submerged, immersed in the show. It wasn't like, oh, I filmed for three nights a week and get every weekend off or every other weekend off. You were Blue Peter through. And that suited me absolutely fine because, oh, do you want to go and... Um, paint Blackpool Tower do you want to go and meet the Queen or do you want to go and drive a tank it was like yes 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 so it was fine for me I think for some people that have been there a lot longer historically in the past you know after five six years you actually want a weekend off it's more important than meeting the Queen <laughs> well that's the thing but when you're at BBC television centre and you're in studio two which is now the this morning studio like you said, there is so much going on. You had uh, CBBC doing the broom cupboard at that point still. So there was such a buzz about it. And mm. obviously, in your era was the iconic Thunderbirds uh, uh, Thunderbirds thing that was made by Anthea. Yes, yeah. That had happened before I had joined. But that gives you an idea of how big the show was because that was in every single national newspaper. And that's a make item on a children's show. But... That's how big the show was because it was. It's basically the equivalent of the one show. I always think Bluebeard and, and that have very similar connections, either presenting style or presenters or some of the subject matter. And that's the thing because it did a bit of everything. It did the cooking. It did the fun with the kids. And if I'm, I was on Blue Peter on the second of April two thousand and four, Gunging Dick and Dom. So you could have that after a film about <laughs> cows, after a trip about All the you great. know. Overgrades, or you climbing Nelson's column, or you know anything like that. It had a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it played to its audience, and I also think that it had a a very good production value to it. That it, even if it was a two minute item about stamps, there was a beginning, a middle, and an end to the item. What are we going to say? Why are we saying it? And how do we wrap it up? Whereas a lot of stuff on television now, you go, "What was that?" <laughs> Yes, it had pictures of stamps, but I didn't really learn anything. So you, you kind of, you were always learning something as well. It wasn't like, oh, I like this part of the job. But that job was, every part of it was fun. And they made big issues relevant to children and made them part of it. So, you know, the things like their appeals, you know, like the children in need appeal, if they were doing a shoe appeal, anything like that, they made it accessible. And then the accessibility was really personified because you could get what they called a Blue Peter badge and that changed the world for you. Mm, mm. Oh yeah, even now, 
even in uh, where I live in London, the, the house next door has had um, some work being done and the scaffolding going up. And I don't know if you know scaffolders. Some of them are the, the funniest, but they're the loudest uh, guys around. And the other day I was walking past, and going, hey, mate, mate, you have the telly? I'm like, uh, well, yes, yes. Blue Peter, isn't it? Is it Tim? I go, yeah, he goes, we said it was Tim Vincent. We said it was... So, you know, even now, Blue Peter has a resonance with a certain person of a certain age. And I think you can't be more than 30. I'm nearly 49. So you couldn't have watched it at the time, but it must have had a follow-on effect that you just know Blue Peter and some of the presenters. It's a bit like Panini football stickers. Yeah, and everyone has their moment. If you say to anyone, Blue Peter, they will tell you who their four key presenters were. And their presenters were better than any of the other presenters. It's always a fact. I mean, mine were... I was effectively Katie Hill, but she'd kind of left to do Live and Kicking by the time I came in. Mm. So I remember her a little bit, but it was more my core was Simon Thomas, Matt Baker, Liz Barker and Connie Huck. Those were my four, but everyone's got their four. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you go further back, it was their three. Because when I started, it was twice a week and then it went to three times a week and they needed another presenter. So it's, you know, there's a, a cut off. My biggest regret of the whole time on Blue Peter is that the year that I joined was uh, the first year that they didn't do an annual Blue Peter buck. And the year after I left, they started doing the bucks again. So I was never in a Blue Peter buck. I mean, there are worse things to have happened in the world, mate, in the past 20 years than that. Uh, you know, but it was a fly on the ointment of otherwise fantastic time. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you'd have done differently? Now, in your knowledge of being a TV presenter for the past 30 years, is there anything you'd have done differently or applied yourself differently to that time? No, because I think if my energy had been anything different in what I'd pursued or did, then I would have had a different path. And there's no way I could have predicted that I'd have ended up living in the States and co-hosting a huge entertainment show for three years and then continue to do it for 10 years back here. It's like if I'd slightly done something different, there's a load of shows along the way that I um, auditioned for or were considered for or, or indeed have been offered and then it changed. And I thought, oh, that would have been brilliant if I'd got that show. But it does change how you go. And I can't really regret what I've done along the way because I've afforded lots of great times. But like all presenters, you have times when you're working, times when you're not. I think Blue Peter presenters are a bit unique compared to other presenters because they're all known pretty much like you've just said. But they're not necessarily all working all the time because some of them were very much associated with Blue Peter and that's it. And then other ones seem to break out of it. 100%. And you kind of broke out of it to an extent because then you went to Fully Burked or FBI's that then became known. And I remember the Vernon K. Keith Duffy, Kate Heavener days. Your days, you were in it when I was six years old. So it kind of <laughs> passed me by. But... Gail Porter and Chris Jarvis were your co-hosts. Chris Jarvis, who hasn't left kids' television, he's been on CBeebies now since that started. I think 2002 it started, and before that he was at Play Days. For you, mm. though, what was it like continuing the children's TV vibe? You know, you'd done Blue Peter, obviously, but Blue Peter was a children's programme, but effectively made for... could be seen as that older side of the kids' element, uh, you know, the more yeah, yeah, younger teens. Teenagers and that kind of... Well, that was interesting because I'd left Blue Peter and then hosted the Close Show for uh, two seasons and been in Dangerfield as Marty Dangerfield, which is a drama on a Sunday night. So I had done all, inverted commas, adult um, shows. And then I did that, and people were like, well, you're going back into it. And I was like, 
Well, it's a Saturday morning three-hour live show with lots of um, great guests on board, and that's what I'm interested in doing. If, you, if I was coming back and doing finger painting at the age of 26 and thinking that would be cool, but <clears throat> it was an interesting thing because people were like, oh, well, you did Clothes Show last, and now you're doing Fully Booked. And I'm like, well, I quite enjoy doing both of them. I don't think I have to do one or the other. But Chris is a great example. He looks exactly the same, and he's still doing children. And, and he's enjoying, I presume, doing that area. And, and, you know, it's very much a brand in that area, which is great. To be known for anything is great in this kind of industry. Well, 100%. And, you know, the same with Dick and Dom and Gemma Hunt as well, who's on CBBS now, started at CBC in about 2004-ish. And I think that's the thing. There's such a good legacy when it comes to children's TV, either being for presenters like yourself as a great training ground. For <clears throat> children like me, it's a big nostalgia piece that mm-hmm. you will never remember, you'll never forget. And for producers, it's like, and schedulers, it's like, great, you know, we're going to get that children's audience. Obviously, that audience have now moved online to YouTube and to on-demand services. How do you think that Blue Peter is viewed now and in, and in, indeed children's TV now? Are, are the children missing out now that they've gone online? Or is there still a big market for it? I think... Um... We've discussed this before, and I know it's going to be a very big jump for me to make this comparison, but children's television is like dating online. (laughs) It's in the sense that now it's online. If you find the right superior TV show, then it's even better than some of the stuff that you'd see on television if you find the right stuff. And I think Blue Peter still has a very high standard of what it does. It's educational, but hopefully informative. But then you could spend eight hours watching clips of you know, toys being unwrapped, some children watch and think that's fantastic. It's in, in, in its measurement of how much you watch is fine. And I think when children's television was on television, be it ITV or BBC, there was a schedule. You could watch it for a couple of hours, whereas, you know, now you can watch eight hours if you want. And that's the thing. You know you're going to start with a cartoon like Arthur, if this is my day, obviously. You'd then have maybe a drama like Grange Hill. You'd finish with Blue Peter and then News Round and then you know, then it'd be Neighbours back in the day when it was on BBC One. But <laughs> yeah, that's all exactly, over. Yeah. So as a father of two young kids, and we're going to go backwards, I know we've gone forwards, but we're going to go backwards in a second. Now you've got two kids, they're very young still. Where are you going to start getting their mindset? Are you going to plonk them in front of CBBC? Or are you going to say, here's an iPad, go and discover? Well, not here's an iPad, go and discover. With parental um, lock on, obviously. Yeah, there's a bit of a, a wide uh, world to explore. In fact, for Christmas time, I bought them two. Uh, baby iPads that have limitations of what they can access, but it's you know a bit smaller, but they can use all the things so they can watch. But it's monitored; it's brought out at certain points, and actually, it, it, those are the mum. So you know, she monitors how much they have. Um, but it, when they're when they're with me, you know, they love Peppa Pig, and quite frankly, it's a relief because you know, they have been addicted to Bing. I say addicted, but they always like Bing if you've got to put something on. So Peppa's a bit more entertaining for me. Um, but they're all very educational. You know, there's some amazing shows out there, and it's like all the Pixar movies. We didn't have that when we were growing up. You'd get one Walt Disney animated movie per year. You know, the first time there was a movie that I went to see that was directly for kids was The Goonies, E.T. You know, now there's a whole staple of them that come out all the time. Well, there's a big market there now for the commercialisation of children that... You know, back in the day for us, it had been Toys R Us, whereas now it's let's commercialise on children through the television. You know, we're not the BBC now, which 
you can't do any marketing. It's now let's put a thousand toys out there. And like you said on YouTube, let's put toys that are getting wrapped up that kids are going to want. You know, the equivalent of like the My Little Ponies or the Barbies of the day. Yeah, I think it was always that. Like even Star Wars had all the figurines and everything that you'd want to get and you'd want to have the Millennium Falcon as a present at Christmas, I remember one year. I think what it, it, it demonstrates to me, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, is that I don't know how it was when you were growing up as a child that you had... And I think about my childhood, and I grew up in the countryside. I was like, I don't know what age I was, but, you know, you'd have breakfast, and then you'd just off wander down off the fields with a dog and go do whatever you wanted in ponds, climbing up haystacks, all kinds of stuff. that kids were potentially dangerous. Uh, but your your parenting time with – my mum was working full-time on a single parent, so it was limited how much time that you had just to – parent and child doing stuff it was more like you kept up with what the routine of the adults were doing now it's like let's go and do something with the children let's take them see in the night garden at the theater why don't we do this so we can do a finger painting class so movies are addressing well parents have got to take their children or want to take the children to certain things so there's so many of those films out there that cover both sides of it you know i discovered I was about. I was going to lie and say I discovered with the children and watched it, but I actually watched it on my own. I thought I'm definitely going to play that to them in a year or so's time. Is um, oh my god, the the Christmas animation movie Arthur Christmas, which was absolutely fantastic. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Netflix every year, and I have. I don't think I've watched it because I don't like that CGI 3D effect that they did. They did that to Noddy, I remember years ago. And I just didn't like the feeling of it. And I saw it for Christmas. I, was like, I can't do it. <laughs> I'd give it another go because it's got Bill Nye in it, and lots of British actors doing voices, and Grandpa um, Santa in it. It's fantastic by Bill Nye, played by Bill Nye. It's worth another revisit. But there's so many things out there for children. You know, when we were kids, it was like you were bored after about two days of the summer holidays. <laughs> so now there's no excuse there's so many things to do and that is why my friend I spent all my childhood watching CBBC to get to the position that I'm in now sad but <laughs> true um, obviously um, you went to America I want to move on to fatherhood because we've spoken for so long and um, I could talk to you for hours and you did do another podcast for two hours and I thought how the hell did you do two hours but I can obviously see now why um, so you go to America blah 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 you're amazing yes you've met Robert De Niro or as you call him Bob and you know all these amazing people um, <laughs> but then you get to 46 years of age and you meet you go on Tinder which as a celebrity first of all that must be quite interesting because you're talking to the <laughs> common person yeah, and and there's there was a there's a certain uh, um, you you get kind of get the same kind of response or certain, maybe three different types of response. One is that they don't believe it's you, or they think you're a catfish, uh, and then it's like, well, why can't you meet somebody? Why? So you go through all those things really. And go well, got to meet somebody somewhere. And primarily for the last prior to having children, you know, having lived, moved back from the UK and flying back to the states. That's solitary. You're going backwards and forwards. You're going over to do a gig. I go to China for 10 days to host Miss World, and then you fly back. You're not with somebody. You're not meeting somebody that's potential. But so, And even if I was filming all day outside Buckingham Palace for you know breaking royal reports for NBC, it's me and the camera crew. It's not like I'm hanging out in a, an office where I get to see lots of people. So everybody needs to find somewhere to date. So it was a fun thing and you know it's it's something and i'm single now so you know i have ventured onto it again but you do people always go oh oh right is it you can you you know so you have to go through that little hiccup to begin with 
Well, also that thing of, is this for a TV show? You know, are you basically trying to recruitment that you're making a new documentary that we don't know about yet? <laughs> no, but you know what? There's a celebrity dating app, I think. I can't even remember what it's called now. Not that I'm on it, but, I, I, you know, I know enough celebrities and I know enough people that uh, are on dating apps that spot, spot celebrities. So there's quite a few people out there. It's less of a... I think it was the tail end of a celebrity being on a dating app was, why are they doing it? Which used to be 10 years ago. Why are you on a dating app? That's a bit. Now that's moved on. Everybody's like, oh, well, you know, a third of all marriages come from people meeting on dating apps. It's the norm. So why wouldn't you see somebody that you kind of recognize from somewhere on it as well? Well, exactly. And if it works, it works. And at the time, like you said, it worked for you. You yeah. hadn't been a father yet. 46 years old, you decide, right, I want to be a dad. Why was that the right time for you? Well, it had been the right time for six years before that, really. It just hadn't happened. And I know they say, well, you know how it happened. But, you know, it hadn't happened for various reasons. You hadn't met the right person or the, the right person who wanted kids. It wasn't the right person for you. And then um, it just happened and very happy. Obviously, the double bonus, the buy one, get one free uh, voucher, was having twins, which, you know, is its own um, adventure, uh, really. But luckily, I had a couple of mates who were very similar age to me that had had kids for the first time and had twins. And they both had said to me, listen, it's the first time you've done it, uh, being a parent. It's tough, but you don't know anything different. And that's actually when you start to talk to people that have had twins or had other kids or siblings before, they always go, oh, if I'd known, birdie owl, no slit and all that kind of stuff. So it is tough, but you just get on with it, don't you? And um, now, it, it, you know, it's fun. But it's just at the age, going back to when you're talking about watching the television, you put them down today, I had them uh, today, and they come in and they want to sit down, take the shoes off, and, and I say, what do you want to watch? And Felix is going, which means Peppa Pig. And Jasper's going, uh, uh, and you go, go for Peppa, go for Peppa, go for Peppa, and he go, go for Peppa, and he goes, bing. And you're like, oh, my God. So then they're already not arguing, but one of them's not quite happy that you're not watching the same thing. This is why you need to get split screen, my friend, and plug two headphones on either end of the TV. That's what they need to create in Earth. So 40 years... I don't like them having too much television. I'm not one of those, oh, we've reached the 32 minutes per day situation. But that's why, you know, Lightly Dads, which is the Radio 4 show that I host, it, you know, it's all men talking about being dads, dad fails. So, you know, some people are regimented on how long their children watch television. And then some are like, I don't even know where the kids are in the day. You know, I think they're in the house, you know, so there's very different parenting uh, techniques that all have the benefits. I mean, I'm surprised you haven't got the VHSs out and go, kids, we're watching Blue Peter again. Oh, look, it's me. Oh, I remember when I did that. Oh, look, I'm about to do this now, kids. <laughs> there's a couple of times that um, I've been on Loose Women or Alan Titchmarsh or some other show or like Channel 5's shows that go wrong and you're talking head and a couple of times they've seen bits and Jasper's particularly is a bit, ooh, Mm. Daddy, daddy, ah, daddy. So it's fun. But yeah, at some point, I'm sure in years to come, I'll be getting out the attic, you know, all the old VHSs. And after I burst into tears, because I'm now 60, thinking that's what I looked like when I was 20, <laughs> I'll right. show them all the bits. See, there's benefits of not being on that Blue Peter annual that year. There are benefits out there. There are. That's true. That's true. So you said that at 40 years old you already. Why do you think at 40 you were? And what was stopping you before that? Was it the career? Was it that your external stimuli around your friendships, they didn't have kids? What made for you that... Because I'm 28 now, and I'm thinking, right, I'm trying to find a girl at the moment, and 
I have been on some dates with some 30-year-old girls. And they're like, we're ready to settle down. I'm like, I'm not ready to settle down yet. And I've got one friend who's having a baby. And I'm like, I'm not ready in my time of life yet. So it's quite interesting. In Going into my 30s, you going into your 50s, what made it in the 40s, though, for you to go, right, I want to have kids? Well, I think it's not so much that you want to have kids uh, or not. It's when you want to have kids. And I was very much like, I would have had if. if, if different circumstances, different um, partner, and we'd settled down earlier, then it would have happened and it would have been great, but it didn't. And I moved away from Wrexham, North Wales, when I was pretty much 15 to film children's ward, came back, did A-levels, carried on filming. By the time I was 20, 21, I was living in London. So I'd kind of marched to my own drumbeat because a lot of my mates I'm still very close to in Wrexham. I've got, I'm godfather to some of their children who are 21, 22, you know that they had their kids early, so to me it was I was already I haven't settled down and had kids in marriage. You know, and the next thing, oh, I'm going to do this, or I've got this show, or I'm going to be three months filming away. Oh, I'm going to marry. So there was always things that were equally very appealing and uh, fun to do. But by the time you're in your late thirties, you're thinking, you know, it's not like um, you've got, you know, you're ticking down with a clock like um, uh, women would necessarily have. Like thinking, well, I've got to find somebody pretty soon because. So it kind of elapses until you're in your 40s. And thinking, why isn't it me? Why can that person settle down with that person and have kids and all, you know? So it was always a bit of a... The foot was on the pedal, but it wasn't pressed to the floor. I was kind of like, you know, at some point, hopefully this is going to happen. But I already uh, now think, well, I'll be 50 and there'll be, you know, three or four. Where are we going to be <laughs> by the time they're in university? You know, will I be still around to watch it? Well, how did that mentally sit with you? Because your career is flying. Like you said, you're back to America or to China or, to, or you're filming in Britain. So career-wise, you're doing amazing. But there's still that thing missing for you in your personal life. Yeah, I think once you have kids, it's not a replacement to having a, a regular partner. But it does take up a lot of your time emotionally in a good way. So it's not like you are... You know, today Jasper and Felix were like manhandling. They're only two and a bit, but they're, they're throwing themselves on top of me and cuddling me and laughing. And you get a lot of enjoyment just out of that. So you're not like sitting on your, in your apartment on your own in lockdown going, huh, I just want to cuddle. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of fun family things going on with, you, with, you, with your children. And certainly at that age, and I assume it will continue to be like that. So there's less pressure for me to meet somebody. And of course, I would like to meet somebody, but... When that happens, it happens. And as you head towards 50, like, you know, several decades older than you, you kind of feel like if it's the right person and they can kind of work around me as much as I work around them, great. If it isn't, you know, it'll happen when it happens. And I'm glad that I had children later on in life because at least financially I'm sorted to be able to keep going. I'm not like, (gasps) I've got to get out, you know, seven in the morning to knock on people's doors. You kind of think, oh, I can actually take the kids out today. Well, then you don't need to use a two-for-one for me at Tapas Bar. You can treat me to a bottle. Well, no, it doesn't mean I'm not left a bargain and be economical with things. I'll make sure... Listen, you know, you're going to get a nice meal. Don't worry about how it gets paid. And don't worry about if I go to the toilet and don't come back and you're left with a bill. Because, you know, sometimes I'm taken very ill quickly. Oh, you know. Um, so bringing this together, career-wise parenthood you bring together and you make a podcast called the likely dads it becomes a radio for hit as well you've got mick ferry and you've got russell kane on it as well 
the conversations around fatherhood and around parenting, and this is with three men, and you know, there's always been the criticism that loose women never have never done loose men, and then they do loose men, and it's very much you know we're going to get the Peter Andres out of the world and just not talking about the actual issues. It'll be about now men and mental health. How did you find doing a podcast about parenthood, which is seen obviously to be a female subject? Yeah, well, that's how it. That's exactly how it was born out of. Um, I'd done the voiceovers for a, a production company made in Manchester, who were a fantastic company, and one of the producers there was um, was uh, producing, but was also working from home and looking after his, his, his little kids. And I was saying, well, you know, and we just started talking about the male perspective on it, and it was just interesting that we had a lot of uh, riffing going backwards and forwards and so i think we got something there and anyway radio 4 loved it uh commissioned it and um pilot was done great response then it they commissioned a whole series and we're hoping it'll come back again and, and it's been become this podcast so but primarily it, it's a comedy show it, it, you know it, it's it, it's no different than have i got news for you or uh, any of those shows where there's a couple of comedians and there's a host and we talk about stuff and the way we hang our coat on the hook is the fact that we're all dads, you know, and that's it. So we, from there, you can go with anything and explore what's going on. Because I think dads are a bit more like, you know, they will take the mick out of each other a bit more. And uh, we're all northern, so there's a, well, mainly all northern. So there's that northern kind of open up your soul, but we will attack you because it's funny. <laughs> Which hopefully Mick Ferry particularly is great, you know, because uh He'll tell, say something about that's really sweet about it being a parent, and then in the next thing he'll say, "Oh well, I don't know where they are in the day. I don't, you know, we didn't have anything to do with them. They just went out in the morning, and if they came back and they were fed. It was a bonus." So, laughter aside, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from the other two, or about yourself that you didn't realise before you started opening up these conversations? Well. It's not like AA and we sit around in a circle and volunteer the deepest, darkest parts of our soul. But as we do, you know, we've done about nine, ten episodes now with them. It's like you start to feel how one was going to... You can almost tell how one will have approached something slightly different to another. And I think ultimately, you know, it sounds like, you know, a Coca-Cola advert, but, you know, there's no wrong way to be a parent as long as you love your kids. You know, we all make little mistakes or what works in one family and household might not quite work the same way in a different one but ultimately if you love your kids and they love you and keep them safe great but we have one guy on you know told his told us that you know a great dad tip was to tell your kids to lie to say they were younger so they can get into all towers for free on the right you know? <laughs> and the next thing somebody's telling you a really heart moving thing about the fact that um, they had to fight their their ex in court to have you know, rights to see the children. So within it, there's all kinds. Of, I call it the parental panic room for men. I love that. I love that. Timothy, Vincent, you've been amazing. Vincent there his podcast for likely dads is out to download now everywhere you get your podcast from including this podcast obviously secure the insecure you've been listening to secure the insecure of me johnny so if you like what you heard please do go and rate the podcast go on to apple itunes go down to the bottom it has five stars put five stars there leave a review 
there you go you submitted that great that gets us on the itunes chart then go on to instagram at johnny seafoot put it on your story a screenshot that you've listened to the episode tag me in it tell me what you think about the episode i will then repost that for you then secure the insecure podcast on instagram you go and go on there and there's all the old episodes every ever episode that's ever existed i've got little teasers it's taking me hours upon hours to do and i need your support because they only get two or three likes per post so if you can help me you know justify two likes versus two hours work to get that little post out that would be amazing and then finally i do a mental health check in twice a day on my instagram at johnny seafoot because it's really important that we talk about our mental health and obviously with tim we've spoken about his career we've laughed we've had fun and we've also talked about fatherhood but there's also the other side on our mental health as well and this podcast was started to talk to celebrities about their mental health and obviously i idolize so many celebrities that it's kind of spoken into it's kind of turned into career chats but that's not to say that mental health isn't important and i really urge you to keep taking that moment to take a step back and just think, how am I doing today? If you're not doing okay, just send me a little message and we'll talk through it and we'll work out what's going on. But, you know, please do focus on your mental health because you've all been so good looking at your physical health. You've got the Peloton bike, you're doing your walks, you're doing your home workouts, but work on your mental health as well. And to that extent, that's it for another episode of Security Insecure. Go and listen to your old episodes. I'll be back next week with some more episodes for you. I've been Johnny Seifert, you've been amazing, and I'll speak to you very soon. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.